It's a night of spooky surprises. Oh, Halloween. For America's favorite fat cat. Don't bat your eyes. Garfield's Halloween adventure will have you shaking in your boots Monday. Along, chicka, chicka, chicka. welcome back to SMSN. Oh, no, what is that? SNMS. Welcome back to SNMS. Going on that long. We are on Halloween's Triple Eve. I am Dion Baya, joined with Jay Blake. And we are here for another exciting installment of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Yes, back again. All right, good night, everybody. We'll see you soon. It was an exciting month. Ooh, we've been flying through this month. We've put ourselves at risk for health and mental agility and just our our stamina as a person and in bed. All I these feel things. Like we should do more. Maybe next year we'll do all thirty one days. Podcast a day. <laughs> Podcast live, thirty one days. I mean we really we, we pulled out all the stops this year. For we've we've gotten four in and I can't emphasize enough how busy our personal lives are. And we, we were able to squeeze it all Sneak in. in those sleepovers. Yes, as much as we can. We're sneaking them in as as, as, as quick as we can, as much as we can. We did a John Carpenter film. Yeah, we did a John the Carpenter film. The patron saint of Saturday Night yep. Movie sleepovers. We did him. We did a... We did our first Hammer movie. We did our first Hammer movie. We did our... Uh, Kicking it way back in 1959. Yes, it's an oldie but a goodie. <laughs> Coming to you right back. Terrence... <laughs> Terrence Fisher's <laughs> Terrence. The Mummy, starring uh, <laughs> Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. And then we rocked in fucking... Sleepover yeah. class. Yeah, Fred Decker's second appearance on here, and possibly, uh, maybe, because unless we do his third, <laughs> RoboCop three. You know, you never know. Yeah, we hey, never know. You never know. Yeah, we might call an audible. And we might, you know, that been, was the we've third. We've been talking week. about maybe doing a uh, every once in a while throwing in a TV show. So maybe if we were to do a Tales from the Crypt, you never know. Maybe we would Fred, do his. Maybe yeah. a Fred Decker episode of Tales yeah. from the Crypt would pop up. And then um, that was week three. So we had In the Mouth of Madness, John Carpenter. Week one, we had uh, The Mummy, Hammer, fifty nine. Week two, last week's was uh, Night of the Creeps, eighty six, part three. The week three, and then this is this is closing it out. Closing out with our special Halloween. Yeah, our special e- Halloween issue. Now episode. we sh- we should um, tell l- let the listeners at home understand that we. Do you understand? Do you must know? <laughs> <laughs> do I need you, you understand? To carefully. Yes, um, because what we do it's irrelevant the other choices, but what we try to do uh, on the fourth one yeah. is we try to actually have a movie that. Uh, not only is a horror movie, but it'd be hilarious if we didn't get a horror movie. <laughs> it, would we, find no, a movie we, that, we talked about not doing. Yeah. There was a couple of ones that came up that weren't actually horror movies. But they take place on Halloween. So we, so since we're doing four for the month of, you know, we have three horrors, and then the fourth one is usually a horror, but then it's also... Someone that is specific to Halloween. Yeah, that takes holiday. place on the holiday. So the point. first year we did Halloween 3. Yeah, Season of the Witch. And then last year we did Halloween 2. Yes, and then you would and think everybody we were thought we were going to do Halloween. Yeah, yeah, you would think, but no, 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 no. But we threw a curveball. No, we did. I know. I wonder if people got upset when they we did the first one out of the gate was a carpenter. Like, yeah, we were doing two carpenters this year, but we've completely threw him a left hand. And um, it turns out this is very, very loosely a Halloween movie. Yeah, it is. In but in terms it's, of 
like the actual holiday. But it does hit it. It, it, it yeah, the, the climax the ends on Halloween. Right. Yeah, and it's a classic. I mean, for people who might not even know it being a classic, it's a cl- it started evidently a whole subgenre of scarecrow movies, which I didn't know. Well, this week we're doing the television movie <coughs> from 1981. It premiered October the uh, I think it's the 24th, 24th 1981. Yeah, making this the 35th anniversary. Th- yeah, this is the 30th, 35th anniversary of this movie. It is Dark Night of the Scarecrow. Dark Night of the Scarecrow. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? It's always an old 40s guy. Why can't it be like Dark Night of the Scarecrow? Dark. Today's episode is Dark Night of the Scarecrow. Yeah. Dark Night of the Scarecrow. Or they're like the Frenzy Files. Dark Night. Of the Scarecrow. <laughs> or that other one, The Hauntings. The little did they know, it was haunted. Um, so we're doing Dark Night of the Scarecrow, which A premiered in 81. Film. Yes, CBS actually commissioned. So, which, um, you know, for people that are longtime listeners, they know that Dion and I have a certain fancy... For television movies. For television movies. And then I was thinking of a bunch of things in that realm. One... We love ourselves television movies. We've done a, f- uh, a handful of television movies yeah, already. We did uh, Night Stalker. We did Night Stalker. We did um, Trial of the Incredible Hulk. Trial of the Incredible Hulk. We did, I don't know if you would count the, was the pilot to the pilot Flash? Was the that an hour and a half? Flash. Yeah, it was a, it was a full length. So that's, that's, that's a TV movie. And then I feel like there's another in there that we've sprinkled I in. I feel like there's another one in there too. But, but I, I don't know. know. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then if you count, well, I guess none of the Disney movies we've done as of far were... were Bonafide, um, like you know, we didn't do Mr. Boogie. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but so we like ourselves the the TV movie, which I think is kind of a forgotten. Well, I think for, yeah, I think our generation and obviously generations older than ours. Yeah, was you know it was kind of an exciting thing. It was in eighty one. You start to have cable and the VHS. Thing. I think they're on their way out at that point. But sadly, s- but still. Uh, well, they you know they stayed strong for another decade or two at least. I mean, up until the, in the nineties, we had oh yeah yeah like the, the like the Michael Caine Michael Caine and uh, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. Yeah. And I think that there's a Jack the Ripper one with Michael Caine. Right yeah, and then there. there's there's a couple TNT. They would do, they would still do big ones like they do. That like was in the nineties. The Stephen then, Kings in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, and then TNT movies. when we were in college did like the Houdini yeah. and the Lincoln assassination. And then one. they did one with um they did a Frankenstein movie with um what's his face uh. Uh, Randy Quaid, but so that's a, that's where I'm also segueing into where it's we did. A, there's a lot of great horror films that are TV movies, yeah, which yeah. don't really seem like they would necessarily you know kind of equate and and be bound together. But yeah, you have for, some really good for some reason like horror in television movies is like a wonderful subgenre of both horror and television. And I also (laughs) feel like that again is a lost art where you know you have stuff on sci-fi. I mean you have stuff that they purposely make to come out on sci-fi. So I guess you could say those are TV movies like Sharknado and those. Sure, sure. But I feel like the splendor, the 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 golden sheen of these old you know, uh, especially the seventies. Yeah, I mean, the, this you know, is kicking into the on the 80s. three major networks, and the, you know, you're on the. Uh, they used to call it the the, uh, the wheel. I forget the damn. You know, because like even like they had shows like Columbo, where I always cite Columbo or Kojak, where they weren't necessarily weekly or shows because they had like a like CBS or whoever put them out had like a a wheel where they yeah, rotate them. Yeah, so you get like maybe a Columbo once a month, and it would s- rotate, and those would be. Like in uh, movies, because they're an hour and a half. Yeah, so the, yeah. the episodes are not like an hour. They're, you know, maybe to fit in a two-hour block. Yeah, yeah. So through the 70s. It's like, you know, it's weird, because I never really thought of that way, about that way. But now it's like, 
like the Sherlock, the BBC Sherlock movies. Yeah. You know, that's like a television Yeah, thing. BBC. The, or but it's like or a, that's a, like a full-length movie, the but it's a television show. Certainly a time. lot of the, um, the, sh- the the British shows tend to do that. The ITV or BBC sh- movies, they'll, they'll do seasons whenever they want, and they'll do maybe three or four episodes, but they'll be an hour and a half long, which is yeah, great. Yeah. You know, and they don't necessarily, you know, you don't wait till next year. It's whenever they decide they want to the do. show, which I th- totally fell in love with, was, it was called Whitechapel. Yeah. And I think the first two seasons of that were three episodes, an hour and a half, maybe an hour and a half long. And Which then, is like the Sherlock's and then system the la- format. And then the last season was, I think, one hour episodes, but six episodes. Yeah. And then you, I think Downton Abbey does that. Don't they have like eight episodes or so, which are an hour long? But a yeah, lot of times... Yeah, maybe the... Maybe the uh, and that's I yeah, think the premiere ITV. was an hour and a half, or yeah. the finale was an hour and a half of the season. But, but you get a lot of these... Uh, like we said, certainly British, but in, in America, going back to the old seventies, you get a lot of these films that are great TV movies that are horror movies. And then I was trying to think to myself, like offhand, some really great TV horror movies. You have like, um, uh, you have Duel. Duel, yeah, which you we talk a lot about in, in the Night Stalker. Night Stalker, which that's is a, another that's a Night Stalker's <laughs> number two. Another which great is another TV movie. You have. Uh, a whole bunch of weird ones in the 70s I'd never heard well, of. Well, you got uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, yep. which got remade into a feature-length movie a couple years ago, produced by, written and produced by Guillermo del Toro. Yep. Um, you have a sequel to Rosemary's Baby called Whatever Happened in Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, you have... Uh, who, coincidentally, Charles Bernstein, who's featured in my book, wrote the music <laughs> for, wow, okay. for that TV movie. He also wrote the music for Nightmare on Elm Street. And you have... Um, the little-known John Carpenter movie, something somebody to watch over me, which is basically like a a kind of um, rear window kind of an aspect. Yeah, where there's yeah. a murder, very good <coughs> the thriller. Um, Salem's Lot. Let's not forget that was yeah, a TV movie that was, that was huge. That was a two-parter, like a little mini-series action. Uh, we have this movie here, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. That was a, a, a huge TV movie for the time. Satan's School for Girls. Satan's School for <laughs> Girls is, is another one. Um, and then you get into like... Uh, Isn't that one called like Bad Ronald or something like there's that? Another, yeah, Bad Ronald. See, these these all are movies you never really... You, th- you, you kind of forget, but it's like, yeah, these are like huge staples in the... You know, in the, yeah, in, yeah. along with this movie, Dark Knight of the you Scarecrow, know, and then you get into the late '80s, you get all those great Stephen Kings, like it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, sometimes they come back, and um, Salem's not Salem's Lot, uh, the other one, the Stand, the stand. and then they kind of like the Langoliers, they kind of fell off a little. Uh, we should mention that the gentleman Don't Go to Sleep is another one. The gentleman who uh, directed this movie, Don't uh, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, Frank D. Felitta, Felitta. Yeah. Um, he was a novelist himself. He was a novelist. He wrote uh, Aud- Audrey Rose, and then he wrote the screenplay for the movie, and that has Anthony Hopkins, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He also did Entity. Which is a great movie, which well, I he wrote feel like the a book, lot of... And then he wrote the, 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 screenplay, the screenplay, which is Jessica Lange. Co- coincident, no, not Jessica Lange, isn't it? Isn't it Barbara Hershey? Yeah, I'm sorry, Barbara Hershey, yes. And coincidentally, Charles Bernstein also wrote the music for Entity. And I had never seen that movie. I saw it a couple years ago because it scared the shit out of my wife. She said, yeah. you ever heard of this? I never heard of it. We got a bootleg because I don't even think it's properly available on DVD. I think it might be now, but... And it was scary as hell, and it deals with a lot of, like, you know, scandalous stuff, and it's based off a true story where, like, this woman uh, is getting raped and, like, molested by this poltergeist, which is, you know, I I remember seeing that growing up on, like, an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, where it's like, I guess this is something that sometimes would happen. These poltergeists or these specters would, not only would they 
sometimes hurt you or cut you or bruise you sometimes with women and men too yeah, they yeah. would sexually assault you yeah. and the entity is all about that and, and then audrey rose which i've never really seen unfortunately the movie it's, doesn't it, really hold up yeah but then i've never read the then book, i think so. they did a uh they might have even did a tv movie too that uh the, for the love of audrey rose uh which is an 82 and i don't know if that is a um if that was a television adaptation um but what i was going to say about uh frank d Folletta here as he also wrote and directed a television movie uh called trapped yes from 1973 now we have to give a shout out to uh, a listener and a facebook contributor to uh, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Russell, I think his last name is Waggis. I, pre- uh, I apologize if that's wrong, Russell. But Most Russell, likely is knowing us. <laughs> <laughs> but Russell actually donated a copy of Trapped to Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Oh, I think I remember that. <laughs> so that we might, hopefully we will we get, get to. That, to. <laughs> that, but then the plot <laughs> of that movie is... Uh, Excuse me. Which is the, the older Brolin? Uh, James. Jim, Jim, James Brolin yeah. is accidentally locked into a department store overnight. Oh, with the Doberman, right? And he's, tra- and he's held at bay by a, by a group of Doberman watchdogs. Yeah, because in the 70s, <laughs> it was big to have watchdogs in the department stores, and it, came, it became like kind of a joke in a lot of these movies. But that <laughs> sounds like the greatest plot ever. Yeah, and he's like scared to death, and I don't know how. It's, it's, it sounds like a... But so Russell, Russell was messaging us and telling and about, I think it must have been right TV after, movies, Night must Stalker, have been right after Night Stalker. Yeah. And, we were and he's like, have you ever seen this one? And both Dion and I were like, no, but that sounds amazing. He's like, I got a copy of it. I'll send it to <laughs> you. And he did. And it was great. And it, it, it's, it, I mean, there's so many of these, these great movies that are like, I remember one growing up and uh, I think we posted it as a, um, as a, like a throwback, uh, one of this Wednesday uh, throwback posters, but it was like a, a menacing van in the 80s that were killing people, like on a highway. Yeah. And I remember seeing that growing up, and of course there's Duel, but there's so many of these movies that come out, and, and yeah. I find it like a great, almost forgotten art, much like us talking about tonight, the, the, the plot well, points of Dark Knight of, a, of, a, of the Scarecrow. How effective they are! How yeah! How like f- kind of effective and and horrific or scary that like a television movie can be. I mean, I remember being little and watching them on Sunday nights, Saturday or Sunday nights with my parents, and you'd get um, you know ones that would eventually maybe become a TV show. There was a vampire one that did become a TV show, and I can't remember what the name of it was, but uh, it was originally a TV movie starring. Uh, Rick Springfield, I think. Wow, okay. And he was like a detective slash vampire. And that, I think, later actually became a series with not without Rick Springfield. But we would watch these things. And it was always, it's like, I think for a lot of people, especially of like our, our generation, and especially generations older than us, are probably our first encounters with hor- the horror genre are on television. Yes. Whether it's catching a horror movie being like a theatrical horror movie being played on television or the many horror based television shows throughout the years, which the eighties where when we were growing up had many, you know, remake of, of twilight zone. You got tales from the crypt. Tales from the, the writer of this um, story, uh, dark Knight of the scarecrow ended up doing a, a lot of, of those yeah, a lot of 80s the, the t- Twilight Zone and directed Twilight one. Zone and the remake of Outer Limits. Tales from the Dark Side. Werewolf, which we talked about last yeah. week a little bit on uh, when we did Night of the Creeps. Uh, the Ray Bradbury Hour. He had a, he had an hour that were like, I think there's two different ones. There was the Ray Bradbury Hour, 
that was like in the maybe mid eighties and like in the late eighties, they had like another Ray Bradbury. Sh- and then there were, the, and then there were these, uh, television movies. Now this, for instance, 1981, maybe some people started buying VCRs by then. Yeah. But this movie premiered on CBS. Well, it's interesting to think that like CBS commissioned this movie, you know, like, I mean, CBS well, was looking for bought, like a horror Yeah. Movie. Well, they bought the script and yeah. we can get a little bit. Into well, they that, but, yeah, they denied it But it twice. was October 24th, which was a Saturday. Yeah. So for some, this might have been a Saturday night movie sleepover. <laughs> you know, premiering at 8 o'clock on CBS. And it's just weird to think of like ABC, NBC, CBS. And you're seeing like, oh, you know, because it's Halloween season, it's like they're looking for a horror movie to put on on a Saturday night and they put a movie like this on. Now, what's also interesting is what aired before this. That what, night. That night was Disney, Wonderful World of Disney. Halloween special. Wow. So you got like these kids <laughs> watching, which I, you know, it must have been before ABC bought Disney because this aired on CBS. But it's I wonder if they were researching it or something. It was Wonderful World of Disney, yeah. the Halloween special, and then. I wonder if it's the one with the pumpkin talking. I don't know. Because you know, that's from the 70s, that one where it's like the pumpkin. It's basically just the pumpkin doing intros and outros, like on a table, it's like a puppet. <laughs> and then it just intros and outros. You know, like they have the best of like Cruella DeVille from, you know, yeah, or yeah. the girl, the, the, the Siamese cats. We are Siamese, if you please, from, you know, um, leading the tramp. And they, they just show the best clips of their, you know, the lonesome ghosts we always talk about. Sure, yeah. You know, all those little featurettes. I wonder if that was that one. So you might have had a bunch of kids wow. that were like. And they're like, they, hey, can we stay up and watch this? Yeah, Charles Durning's and it's going to be fine. <laughs> we just saw him a year ago in the Muppet movie. It's going to be great and uh opposite this was love love boat and fantasy island what a saturday what a saturday night you know we're we gonna watch because uh, and and people laugh at the time but the love boat and freaking fantasy island were huge when they were on oh yeah yeah so it's not like nothing to laugh at where it's like those are your three choices and they were on for a long time exactly so it's like people like what should we watch tonight should we watch the regular episode of love boat regular episode of fantasy island and or should we watch a special like a movie called and Dark i don't know i don't know the plot of the love boat episode but i know that it was titled that that night it was titled the incredible hunk Wow. So it sounds like it was awesome. <laughs> it sounds like maybe they had what's his face show up in it. Bill Bixby was like, you know, <laughs> trying to find his girlfriend or something on like the, that. On the third channel, you had a country based <laughs> music television show called The Nashville Palace, which was like a performance based, kind of like a Grand Ole Opry type thing. Yeah. And then uh, after that, for, which would be airing during the last, the second half of Dark Knight of the Sh- Scarecrow, was a television show that I never heard of called Fits and, Fits and Bone. No, I've heard of that which either. starred the Smothers Brothers, not playing brothers, but one of them was like an investigative reporter for a television station, and the other one played the cameraman that would, you know, film him on these stories. And it was, <laughs> and they're not brothers in the show. They're not brothers in the show. That's uh, that's incredible. And then like, the, so it, that's your sad. Just picture that's that's a that's a typical. That's your Saturday, nineteen eighty one. That's October. a nineteen eighty one October Saturday night. Yeah, and you're not doing much. I mean, and, and then basically, aside from maybe your PBS or your you local Halloween, affiliates, you got actual Halloween coming up in like a week. Yeah, you have this is what's going on, and it's and that's just when we set the table like that for Night Stalker. We talked about I think it was like Marcus yeah. Welby or the Mod Squad was bookending. This, that night and what we had to so those are your choices f- to watch and i mean people to this didn't break records like um oh, no. night, a night stalker did with like patronage but, but it's still, just it's a movie this is a movie that a lot of people remember fondly well it's terrifying and, it, and it's talked about a lot even if for people that haven't seen it though you know they know the either the box cover or they've heard of it. And it's a movie that like is on a lot of people's lists to check out. Yeah. Even if they haven't seen it yet. Now, was this your first viewing of it? This was my first viewing of it, but I've been wanting to watch it. 
for a very long time. In fact, I have a, the copy that we watched, which was this old beat up VHS yeah, copy. Yeah, great. That, <laughs> that I that I purchased with the intent of watching it, and then just never got around to watching it. Yeah. So when we decided, when we were looking for a Halloween themed movie to do, and you had actually seen this movie before, and we were and we were both like, I think this movie has some of it takes place during Halloween. Why don't we do this? <laughs> movie? I remember you told me, and I was like, wait a minute. And I had seen it because at the time it was on Netflix Instant, and, now, and it's no longer on Instant anymore as of this recording. And I replied back, it's like, is that the one where Charles Durning's the mailman? <laughs> and I, like, I don't yeah. know. I haven't seen it. I was like, I think, I think he's in it. Yeah. And I was like, then that, if it's that movie, this, that movie's great. And it's, it, it's such a weird but movie. But I'd always heard really great things about it. Yeah. And, and as a fan of television horror movies. Yeah. I mean, television movies in general, like I love Boy in the Plastic Bubble. Yeah, I of love, course. But especially a horror like, movie, tel- television. And, and I had gotten really into a, there was a phase there, probably before we even started doing the show a couple years ago, where I got very into finding obscure television horror movies. I think that's, it's <laughs> and, such a great, watching it's almost like trying to find like a, uh, the telenovels uh, or the photo novels or like, like yeah. um, even the ad- book adaptations. It's like there are, there's, a plethora to use that word of these movies out there that have been forgotten and that are still, you can probably find them on I offer or eBay or maybe like this one, this will show up like they show up on a, um, on like an instant, a streaming site. And it's, I find it like, you know, your first thought is like watching a horror TV movie. That might, might be silly cause it's going to be cheesy, but I think it's actually an art. Like I said, it's a lost art because you have so much more, uh, riding against you. It's almost like back in the day when you had the haze code implemented in the studio system, you had to work around it. Yeah. Well, this is this thing is the same way. I mean, I even heard that the um, the author of this, uh, J.D., how do we say, is, is Fiegelson? I would say Fiegelson. Fiegelson, yeah. he talks about um, that he heard that Vincent Price, they, they, they were interviewing Vincent Price around the time of this movie or maybe in the mid-80s, and he was about the state of how he thought horror was then. And he's like, I don't like it because to me, there's nothing, it's yeah. not logic. It's it's all gore. It's one scene to the next. Just It's, it's a gore yeah, fest. Well, at that point, you know, when, slasher movies. slasher phase. He's like, not a lot of plot. And then he goes, you want to see a good movie? He goes, you go see Dark Night of the Scarecrow. I, he said, I saw that the other night on a Saturday night, and that scared the crap out of me. And, and then and, and the, uh, Fiegelson was like, my Dark Night of the Scarecrow? <laughs> my Vincent Price is talking about mine. And like, you know, he was using that as a, um, you know, uh, to hold up, and I, th- and I think it's true. I mean, watching this, it's just it really got me sad because this movie is so good. Uh, full disclosure, in my opinion, and it's like it's a lost art. You don't yeah. see this anymore, and you don't see this kind of a story in itself as well. What the story is about, the kind of it's left very open ended, but uh does decidedly go a certain way. But I think when you're watching it back in 81, if you could probably, you know, I'm sure people were speculating, you know, what, you know, they kind of, it's almost, you know, what's causing the phenomenon, what's happening. And you don't see that kind of anymore. Like the, the come up its tail, especially done in this way and then done in this way. So, uh, perfectly. Yeah. Since this is a movie that maybe some people haven't, watched before or even heard of <laughs> maybe we should talk a little bit about the plot well let's first if so you we, haven't seen this uh, we, we we advise you to go find it it's, it is available out there and you can stream it 
people have posted it on YouTube. Yeah, it is on it, YouTube. And it is available on DVD. And I think there might even be a Blu-ray out now. There is a Blu-ray out. So, And the Blu-ray has some a bit of special features. It might take you a little bit to go get the DVD or Blu-ray. If you have it, go pop it in. But if you don't, pause this son of a bitch. Watch <laughs> the YouTube. Watch wherever you can find it and then come back. We'll but for wait. those of you that have watched it and maybe need a little refresher. Okay, we're back. We're waiting. We're good. I'm glad you watched it. <laughs> for those of you that maybe have wa- have seen it but... You know, but maybe need a little refresher. We have a, a story, yeah, about a uh, tale as old as time. To quote last <laughs> week's podcast about a, 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 an adult, yeah, who with uh, a disability, a mental disability, yeah, he's a learning a, disability, or whatever. He's a, he's a little slow, and he's befriended a little girl. His name is Bubba, if I'm not mistaken, yeah, and Mary Lou, yeah, and they're friends. Yeah, it's a nice, innocent, wonderful, friendly relationship. Yeah. And we have a mailman named, played by Charles Durning. <laughs> the great Charles Durning, which we'll get to Charles Durning in a minute. But um, yeah, and Charles Durning, a lot going on in that character. But a lot of the town, they resent the relationship for whatever reason. I, I bet you it's the old ways of, you know, why would an adult be playing with a little kid that they're not related? Is that kind of, you know, he's yeah, gonna... Yeah, there's some small town... You know, it's, it takes place... Gossipy should, stuff that We should preface it that, that, that it takes place in a small, a small town. Small Because a small, yeah, Texas town. probably town. It, it, it's Bogan County. I don't know if that's a real county, but it's... And I think it's Texas. Or and Midwestern or something, yeah. but it's a really tiny town full of farmers yeah. and farmers. And, and this adds to the paranoia. So you got a lot a of that town small town gossip, gossip going talking. on. And just the way I can imagine a little bit of a worry. Yeah. So Especially in this day and age. Yeah. You know, but back but then, back you know. Back then, you know, even if it's not intentional, that's something, you know, you know, not malicious, but, you know. Uh, Everyone you read of my man. <laughs> Excuse me, you know, and you know, or um, everybody knows what's going down. You know, it's, might, it's sad. Crack a few bunny heads, yeah, or next. something like that. And you know, it's very much like Green Mile. We see in a couple of years, well, ten years but later. Charles Durning, he's he's spying he, on this. He's not liking it, and he's, he's got his binocs, he, and he's stoking the fire, and he's going and telling all his friends that they're also the he town. He sees this happening, and he, it it's rubbing him. Yeah, and he's telling, he's like, he's at it again. He's like that, he's you know. I think he's calling it. He's like calling him like that idiot or whatever. And then they're like, you know, we got to do something about it. He's like, no, let's, you know. Well, wait. Something's gonna happen, and we'll, and you'll see. I was right. Yeah, yeah. Which is like you know, very a very pessimistic future. Yeah. <laughs> as well as it, they've they've also alluded to that that a couple of his friends who were other people in the town have already like gone there and like you know maybe humiliated him or they've beat him up. Br- or, they've broken it up before. Yeah. But it always they know. end up the, the kid and and Bubba and Mary Lou end up. Yeah. Up. She's maybe I don't know nine ten something like that yeah yeah. you know he's young he's probably like in his early 20s you know but he's a big guy he's one of these people well you know played by the great larry drake his first movie they he said it was his first um paying acting job when he got to la didn't even have an agent at the time uh he'd just done a uh a short film with the producers and they liked him so much when they got this movie with cbs they said hey we know perfectly you can play this now of course he would go on and be on la law yeah and he played somebody with a disability on la law and because of that he didn't want to get typecasted as some playing a, a guy with a disability. So he would purposely style his hair differently, look, you know, dress differently because he didn't want people to actually think he's so good that he actually has this in real life. So that's yeah. why he would go out and he went and did dark man. Yeah. He started playing bad guys. And he so played Dr. Like Giggles. He's the bar- Yeah. He's the bad guy, dark man. And he's in Dr. Giggles. You know, and he, then he got kind of cap- typecasted going the other way, but that was because of fear that he would get typecasted this way because he's so good. 
And um, so then something does happen where they're they're playing, and then the girl wants to go into the, the to this fenced off yard. He's like, no, we shouldn't go in there. She goes in there anyway because I think there's a fountain or something yeah. in there. And then she's attacked by a dog. And it's a very this whole movie is about uh, implication. It implies. Yeah, you yeah. don't see it, and, and I, that's why I think this is a lost art because it's done perfectly, and it's something that like Hitchcock would say a lot. You can you you know, like with the he Hitchcock would talk about the stabs in the shower and psycho, yeah. where you know there, you never really ever see that knife hitting the skin. It's always just implied with cuts, but people swear that they see they would see it, you know. And I guess that's a bad example because of this, but you know the camera just fades off, and then you hear yeah. you hear everything, and he comes in and tries to help, and then. The next scene is him bringing the girl to, to the house, to the, to to the, the mother's girl, house. Yeah, to like the little girl's house. The little girl's knocking on the door. She starts screaming. He's like, the, I didn't do it. Yeah, He's the in mother tears. sees what's happening, starts screaming. Yeah, and he, she's so out. instantly small town. Yeah. Word gets around. He did quick. it. He, he did it. He did it to her. He killed her. She's dead. Let's go get her. And then then Charles Durning gets a posse together. Uh, and four guys. you got a local farmer. You have a... Um, a manager of like a, a, a grain quarry and yeah. you have a mechanic and then Durning, who's a postman, they all get together. They go over the house of the, uh, Bubba's uh, house, Bubba's house where he lives with his elderly mother. Yeah. And his mother's like, he didn't do nothing. And, she, and he's, they're tracking him with hounds. He runs back to the house and she, and he said, mom, they're coming after me. Yeah, yeah. She's like, she, remember what you did last time? Yeah. Go, go hide. hide you, know? you know, so he, she, he hides, they come to him. They're like, you know, where is he? And she's like, he ain't coming to my house. You know, you, know, you, you ain't the he law. He didn't do anything. He wouldn't hurt you know, anybody, and she, especially and, a child. And they're like, and you know, you, you're wrong for holding out and, you know, for hiding him. And she's like, you're not the law. Go get the law. Come back. And then the hounds bring him out behind the house to the farm. And there's a big scarecrow. Yeah. And they're, they're trying to find out where he is. And then Durning, you know, they stop and like, wait a minute. And Durning goes and looks and you, and then which is like, up. it's all, you know, like you see, first you see the scarecrow like way in the distance. Yeah. And you, like feel it's like a really interesting way of shooting that isn't done anymore. Just yeah. like don't shoot even television does. This doesn't shoot things like this anymore, the, this style anymore. Yeah. So in that way, it's kind of very refreshing and nostalgic to see like these kinds of things playing out in long shot or, you know, it's just, it's, it's a, it's a time, it's a kind of visual aesthetic that unfortunately we just don't see anymore. Yeah. For, for whatever reason, probably because people, well, now everything's gotta be handheld yeah, and, and shaky and, and quick, your quick face cuts and, and stuff like that. Uh, so they're tracking them and the, they get like, to the, they get to the, the, the scare, they, f- they go to the scarecrow. They think they've lost it, but the great ha- design the yeah. scarecrow is really a great, yeah. you know, like the way the scarecrow looks is like really awesome. <laughs> yeah. And the, and the hounds are going crazy. And this guy's like beating the crap out of his dogs. And even Durning's like, tell those dogs to shut up. And then they're like, wait a minute. And then he, Durning like looks into the eyes and you could see his, uh, Bubba's scared yeah. eyes of Bubba. And he, Bubba's almost shaking. And then Durning like gets a smile on his face, walks back. And then, you know, they, they hope they take it, their guns out and they just unload all yeah. the shotguns, their handguns and whatever into, into, the scarecrow and then you see the bleeding I, yeah, it's, it's, it's like firing squad style yeah. <laughs> they they see that they they've killed him and then almost immediately over the farmer's <laughs> cb <laughs> in his pickup not a truck, minute later they're like hey what do, you know where are you guys like we're out at the uh bubba whatever his his, no, his bubba, christian name's house what is it, ritter yeah they're like at the ritter ran they're like what the hell are you doing out there and they're like well we were trying to find bubba and he's like well come on back he's the hero because the girl's woken up she and then they thought she was dead she's like he's not she's not dead she's actually going home uh, you Turns know, out she got attacked by a dog. Yeah, we old. You and know, he saved her. Yeah, and that and that's it. And it's and it's and she's the one who's and it. She's the, he's Bubba's the one who saved her. And then it's like, oh my god, what are we gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh fuck. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then and then that's the plot of the movie. Then the, then it cuts to the next scene 
where they're in court and Jesus, the Bubba's Charles family. Charles like places a pitchfork in like his dead pits, arms. Yeah, in, in the in the scarecrow's dead hand. So it's almost like he, the, the, it was some sort of weird set of defense. And then it cuts to like court the next time, next day, you know, yeah, a yeah. couple months. This is the, that's the other thing about TV movie. Yeah, I got to speak. I mean, as much as like maybe the pacing is sometimes slow because of it's a different era yeah. of entertainment. But in terms of like moving things forward, TV movies usually move. You need to because you only got about an hour and twenty minutes of for an hour and a half movie or two hours, and you, know, you yeah. need to get this plot rolling. So bam, you like, know, as well as you're worried about you don't have a captive audience because the audience can very easily turn to the channel. Yeah, so you got to keep those people tuned so in. So we've already the, whatever months have gone investigation by. is happening. Yeah. so we're in court now, and and. Poor Bubba's mother hired the worst attorney in history. Or I think the he's DA. just like the public. He's the public defender, defender yeah. and he he has brought no evidence to court. Nothing like that. The DA he can't. You know he's or brought the, them yeah, up. I guess the district attorney. He's brought the these people defender. up on charges, and the, the even they have like a sidebar with the judge, and the judge is like, I ain't. I'm about to throw this thing. You haven't brought a shred of evidence, you young man. <laughs> You know, if I, and I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with him. He's like, if I was there and he had a pitchfork, I would have shot him to death too. And the, everyone's like, what? <laughs> so then they, uh, they end up having either a mistrial or whatever. And they, 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 the whole four of them, um, Charles Durning's clan, they end up getting exonerated. And then, and the way is out, also where we start to establish the red herrings that are going to be, be later because we have the mothers like. There is justice other than the law, and yeah. you're gonna pay. And then, and then, that, what is Charles Dirty? They're like, they're like in the, uh, they're like walking out. And you would think that like they just got off, and they need yeah. to be respectful. And th- it's really been forgotten on the floor that like Bub was the one who saved the day with the yeah, daughter, yeah. with the girl, you know. So there was no character witnesses here. Like the girl should say like, you know, he saved my life. So they're like in the they're in the hallway, and then like she's like, you know, you need, and they're like, what do you want to say about? It? And he starts smiling. He's like. Well, it's five o'clock, and uh, I'd be eating fried chicken right now. So, <laughs> so they did make some sort of joke. Yeah, and then the district attorney comes out, and he's you know like We're starting to talk, you. and Charles Durning is like looking at his watch, and he's like, "Am I holding you up from something?" Oh, that's what it is. And yeah. then he looks at him and he goes, "No, except they're starting to serve fried chicken right about now at all." And the district attorney's like, "I'm gonna find evidence, and I'm gonna put you guys away." So we start to get like motive, yeah, for. Eventually, these guys start to have this little comeuppance, and then the next these, scene is karma comes. We start, to, yeah, we start. To, this stuff starts to go down, and uh, you know, we can go from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the basically the that, plot. That we've kind of set the plot up, and then you know, they, going forward, like you said, each one starts some, something happens, and it's like, yeah, and we'll get. And to there's it. a question as to supernatural. Is there somebody doing yeah, it? They they, they yeah, all yeah, start yeah. to get picked off one at a time, and and then it's it's increasingly like what's happening, and it, it's a very inventive and original ways that they're yeah, dying yeah. now. Uh, J.D. Fiegelson or yeah. Feigelson, um, who wrote this script, was a friend of Toby Hooper's. Yes. They were both from Texas, and they were friends. And Toby Hooper actually acted in like a movie that he had made, and they were always talking about what kind of movie they're going to do, and what's the next project. And so now they're getting to a point where they're having a discussion. And they're like, well, you know, what are we going to do? Because we need to get on it. Yeah. Discussion that Deanna and I have had. Well, Fiegelson, <laughs> Fiegelson had made two unsuccessful films. Yeah. And he was at age 30, which is hilarious because, and then he started to have these ideas like, oh my God, I'm 30, I'm an old man, I need to yeah. get on it before it happens. And then he he says, in a moment of desperation, he comes up with this idea. Well, he says basically in a nutshell, he said, you know, always talking films with Toby Hooper, they basically go off 
not in their separate ways in life, but they both go off to develop their own projects. And Toby Hooper goes off and 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 writes Texas and starts to develop Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, and uh, Fiegelson goes off and to write, and this is his this is his idea, and he starts to write this, and he and he develop and he designs the first designs of uh, the fir- you know the first. Uh, images of the scarecrow and he starts to develop this because he wants to make this into a feature length film and he says an independent feature he says he goes um he goes back and he thinks it's like idiotic but he thinks no one he comes to find out that no one has thought of using a scarecrow aside from maybe if your dc comics lore is any good maybe the scarecrow character in Batman predates this, but no one's really used the Scarecrow as like a bad guy in a, you know, I mean, you see Scarecrow come up in lore and stories, yeah, certainly well, what, 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 Wizard of Oz, Oz and, and you, know. you know, apparently the first kind of incarnation of the Scarecrow coming alive type story is uh, in a short story from, that was originally published in 1852 called Feathertop. Yes. And in that story, a witch from Salem a uh, short story by Nathaniel Hawthorne Nathaniel Hawthorne yeah and he the a witch brings this scarecrow to life yeah now, she's in league with the devil she's in league with the devil now of course now this all sounds uh, you know very horrific <laughs> but I don't think at the end of the day this is really a horror story no it's just uh, and it does get adapted for multiple things yeah there's a play in 1908 called the scarecrow and then there's silent films of it 1912 and 1916 and then there's television movies based on it as well yeah and like we said we have the Wizard of Oz we have uh, Orzel, um Gurmage which is so this feather top is the first time we get the idea of a living scarecrow scarecrow being brought to life but apparently, so, you know, of course... When he's welcome, looking for, like, a heavy... We're welcome to, you know, some peop- somebody might know uh, more than us, but as far as we could tell in our research, that this is the first time somebody really does, like, a horror movie. Yeah, horror movie-based scarecrow. With, like, the quote-unquote monster or killer being a scarecrow. Yeah, and um, he writes this, and he pitches it to CBS, and CBS ends up... Well, um, he, re- he wanted to do it as his own thing, and he could not find funding to do it. Yeah. He couldn't find funny to make it into a feature, so then he shops around the script and he, ends up selling it to CBS. He ends up having a connection to Ray Bradbury, and I forget how, but Ray Bradbury talks to Ray Bradbury, and Ray Bradbury ends up having a hand in the story because uh, he's talking to Ray Bradbury about something, and then Ray Bradbury is like, oh, you know, do you have anything you've written? And he's like, yeah, I have this script called Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, and Ray Bradbury is like, send it to me. So he sends it to Ray Bradbury, all like kind of proud, and then he gets like you know a couple months later he gets the thing back with you know like notes on every page. Yeah, this every sucks. you know this yeah this the is terrible. And he's like shit. So <laughs> he he revises it, sends it back, and then you know this a revision of his he was saying takes like two or three months, and he, he goes through this like eight times, and every time Bradbury's sending back revisions of why it doesn't work. You know he's not knocking the story, he's just saying you know this is why it's not working, or this is the script logic is terrible, and then like after like the eighth revision. Bradbury's like, okay, you're done. That's it. You know, that you've got an eight, you know, figure it out. And then, like, his, he said when he first got the first revision back, he went to Bradbury's like, well, what should I do? He's like, Ray Bradbury's like, that's not my problem. You're the author. Yeah, yeah. I'm just telling you what's not working here. You need to go back in, in, in your head and figure out why it's not working and try to fix it. So he ends up coming out with a, a script that he thinks is like, is like good enough. And he ends up turning to CBS. CBS turns it down twice. And then he's, I guess he gets kind of friendly with a producer at CBS and he, they start talking about it and come to find out the reason why 
it got turned down the first couple times is because they're only reading the coverage uh, synopsis. So what yeah. happens is when you, a lot of these executives, you know, a place, any kind of company, when they're getting scripts in, they have people, they pay people just to read scripts. And then what the people do that read the scripts is they write something called coverage, which is about a paragraph of the synopsis, what's it about? If in their opinion, they think it's marketable, should it go to the next level and be read by maybe an executive? So then the executives look at it and then from there they pass on it or whatever. And that's what's been happening with this. So um, our author gets them to read the script and they love it. And then for that, that's when they green light it or they buy it and they, they put it into production, which yeah. is great to have like, you know, CBS, a huge company now, I know, think ordering it, as they say, they ordered it. Yeah, and I think it's important to note that one of the reasons why, you know, a network like CBS would take it on. I think there's a, I think there might be a, an assumption that a horror movie written not with the intention of being a TV movie that when it goes to television it'll get, t- you know, tamed down. Yeah. It'll get toned down to be, and a lot of the greats, you know, the gore or the fear, or the the horror, everything will get kind of because it's for television. They'd have to really, you know, you know. Uh, yeah, water it down. Yeah, or, water or it down. It. But I think, you know, according to Fiegelson, you know, one of the reasons why they were interested in it when they read it was because it there wasn't, they didn't have to tone anything down. I guess. You, like, he, he, in his mind, uh, he he's very much of the, you know, of the uh, school of impl- implying Less is more. And that you don't maybe see the monster until the end. Yeah, of the he movie. says he grew up watching like a lot of fifty sci-fi, and he cites say like, like, like thing from thing the other from world. The world yeah. And he says in that, especially like you know, a lot of times in that movie, the groundbreaking movie by Howard Hawks, that then John Carpenter's The Thing is based off of, um, partly. Uh, he says that like you know you don't really see the monster through that movie. You see glimpses of it, and it's not really revealed to the end. And he loved that idea that like, you know you don't really get a good glimpse. You don't really know what's happening. Uh, so he kind of used that as uh, an, an idea when he was writing this. And I think we we ran across, or maybe I stopped you. Was yeah, his original intention was to have this be a theatrically released movie, yeah. but he couldn't get it made. And then that that back then that was the next step. If I can't try to get this made independently or for theatrical release, then my next step is to try to pitch it for television yeah. and that's what ended up happening and then they they you know the script was so good in a sense where they didn't really have to change anything for television <coughs> and especially by 1981 we're talking about this is you know we've had halloween which is relatively tame yeah but then we get friday the 13th which kind of ups the ante yeah with things like gore and sex and then you know slasher two yeah and then as well has to then up their ante which is right around 81 you know and then you have Supernatural, you had The Shining in 1980, you know, you had also The Changeling, I think, around 1982, the George C. Scott movie. Yeah. So you have a lot of, you know, but, you serious... Know, yeah, but also, you know, the slasher thing's becoming... Uh, it's getting mainstream. It's yeah. starting to get popular. And yeah. The, the starting Prowlers, the, they're starting thing the too. Yeah, Maniac. You know, yeah, Maniac is, is 80. So they start... The Burning is around that time so as well. So gore and, and, you know, boobs and gore and yeah. stuff, that starts to become very popular. It's, it's so so telling. to have a script... That doesn't have any of that. That doesn't have any of that. It's relying, f- you know, purely on suspense and and terror. Yeah, it's yeah. much like uh, what two weeks ago when we did uh, Hammer the Mummy. That's an oddball Hammer movie because it doesn't have gore. Yeah. It has a lot of suspense, but it has it doesn't have gore. It doesn't have boobs hanging out like say Dracula does and stuff yeah. like that. You know, so it's 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 almost like a testament that you're able to do something. This movie, I think. Well, I I mean. 
you know, you, you already stated that you, really, you know, you loved it. I did too. I mean, this was like, I'm so glad we kind of chose it for this. Cause I don't know when I would have gotten around to actually watching it, even yeah. though it's been years that I've been kind of <laughs> wanting to watch it, but it was like a total kind of breath of fresh air. And that's it's, why it's like a lost art. And it's me. definitely more of the school of like Robert Wise's the haunting, yeah. which is a film that I love. Yeah. Of um, course. Of like, of this, you don't really see anything, and it's implied, and yeah. you get Theater it. Theater of the mind, like we've yeah. been saying the past couple of weeks with the radio, old radio shows. And that's another thing where the director um, that we talked about, who they ended up doing this, who was an author, he got his start in radio doing the Whistler uh, in the 40s into the 50s, doing radio doing writing those radio plays. And th- that was about a guy who was almost, th- that was like a... An uh, uh, anthology show where it was like a person who was almost like a Greek chorus would, you know, talk about crime drama and stuff like that. And it's a very good show. And then, you know, he went on to do uh, television work from radio and then he got into television and got into movies and then he he had a great movie career and then he was able to write novels as well. But that's the whole idea of that. You know, there is an there is an era there that is certainly, in my opinion, completely lost in this day and age where you don't show as much. But then. That doesn't necessarily mean that's bad because it's like you take an example of Reservoir Dogs. There's the scene in Reservoir Dogs where Mr. Blonde cuts off the cop's ear. Uh, they shot that two ways. They shot that cutting the ear off, and they shot with the camera pans. But he, Tarantino decided to use that because you kind of think that that's a little more explicit because in your mind, you can visualize ten times as gore than it may, yeah. you know, because... Geez, if if you show that and then the ear looks for a second fake or it doesn't come out right or the blood looks weird or it's lit bad after all that, it can ruin the whole entire thing. But <laughs> if you don't show it in your mind, yeah, you just yeah. visualize it in your head, then it's the most frightening thing you've ever seen. It's funny because that reminds me one year. Frightening thing you've ever seen. <laughs> one year when you and I were in film school together, we were in a writing class. And this was like right as I was getting really hardcore into horror movies. And I was very much of this school of what you don't see is scarier. Yeah. But I decided for this writing assignment that I was going to write the complete opposite. Like what you, what you imagine in your mind is worse than you can show is the theory. And one that I, to this day, somewhat subscribe to. But as, a, as kind of a test, I, was, I took the stance of like, well, what if I wrote something that's more fucked up than you could imagine? <laughs> Is and that your water balloon guy? <laughs> yeah. Great idea. So I wrote this scene for a writing class. And uh, mm. it's about this guy that... I gotta say how good it is because um not blowing smoke off Blake's ass, but I still remember it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, how many of my stories do you remember mine? Probably I don't not. even remember most of mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I remember this one. And I mean, I won't get into the logistics, but it's about a guy that breaks into a woman's house and some fucked up shit happens. Yeah. And I just remember our writing teacher, and when I was done reading it, was just like, why did you write this? I also gave you a little, remember I gave you a little nugget in there. Remember I, I about the, because uh, it's all written. Yeah, yeah. So I forgot what point, but for some point, at some point, your, 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 porta- your antagonist maybe beats somebody to death with cowboy boots on in like a, I was like in steel tubed boots, yeah. Yeah, so I told you it'd be cool if you emphasize the sound of the toe. Of the metal toe hitting the porcelain. Yeah, the and, and every, I remember that you got like, afterward people were like, and, that, and even maybe the writing teacher was like, how scary that was. I visualized it. You know? The girls were scared of me after I read this story. Yeah. Blake and, didn't get any dates from that class for the next two years. Just, I just remember his reaction was like, 
And like, God why? bless Howard Enders. Why did you write this? Yeah, because everybody thought I was really messed up. You were, and then I explained like the the the, the, the experiment. And you're like, don't don't judge me. Which is, you know, like I said, like, you know, what you imagine is scary. But what if I wrote something that was so fucked yeah. up, that, like more than more messed up than you would imagine? Yeah, and that was like I was testing the water because you're going the opposite. It's like you're 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 testing the bounds of reality, how far you can go, or it's like this idea. Um, a little personal he, tidbit for all you listening. Yeah, and, and, and taking us back to 1997. <laughs> and uh, in, in this one, it's uh, the difference is he was writing it explicitly to, sh- to 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 not show the violence. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is great. You know, that's that's just which by the time you know who knows how long he's saying that. I mean, he says that he and Toby Hooper kind of developed these around the same time, which means that there was like almost Texas ten, is what 73. Yeah, so this means he start, might have started writing this almost 10 years before it ended up coming out. So by then, you know, you still don't have the amount of gore happening. Even Texas Chainsaw Massacre is tame. That's a movie that, like, you're saying with Psycho, that's a movie where people oh, remember that yeah. movie being way more messed, like, it's messed up, but yeah. may more, like, gory than it actually is. Yeah, it's frightening. And, of course, you, you know... Uh, like the shot with him picking her up and putting her on the meat hook. People yeah. say they see that. No, it's just it's cut around it. Yeah. You see her lift her up from behind, from over the shoulder, and then it comes yeah, behind. Are, you know, you know, see her set her down, and she's like, oh, and it's all acting. But there's actually very little blood in that movie. The only real blood in that movie, other than, well, I think what we assume is like pigs, you know, like animal blood. Yeah. Uh, you know, in the context of the story is when, uh, to my recollection, is when Marilyn gets hit in the head. Yeah. By grandpa. Yeah, and that you know, nutty gets, scene that we were just talking about in a recent cast because they went insane in that. <laughs> yeah. Because they went because of the heat God, and temperature. I, there's so many movies that I just love that yeah. I haven't seen in so long that I need to, I just, I think this Halloween but, um, is, uh, this October, it's over now, but. I know, but still, it doesn't matter, you know. <laughs> yeah, I gotta revisit a lot of this old, yeah. this old classics. I mean, as of this, of this. But so, you know, back then, maybe when he started writing it, it you know, the, the graphicness of, slasher cinema hadn't hit yet or maybe he was starting to see stuff that was more graphic because you in the early well, 70s you're starting to, to get well even like you know night of living dead was you know that was true. huge so people maybe that you know if if it's going that way with the hammer blood i mean even um, you know i mean even even the exorcists not so much bloody but graphic oh, i yeah, would say yeah. graphic yeah so maybe that this is an idea where he's like well if if you're right if you're opening up if that's going to be one of your prerequisites I'm going to write a story that is, you know, going to be maybe like like Hitchcock, you know, know, and then we flash forward to 1980, which is probably when they start developing this for television. Yeah. Um, In a way, it's probably a perfect television is probably a perfect vehicle for it. And, you know, why I think it's so successful as a television film. But then you do have a movie uh, right around that time that you and I both love, which you already brought up, which is The Changeling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is very much in the same school as this movie. And also, I don't of. remember that being decidedly graphic. No, no, you that's know, what I mean. All, it's very yeah. much... But it's done so implication well. Implication and eerie. And you could tell, like, that... that it's a lot, lot of, like... It's sh- like about, like, balls bouncing down the stairs. Yeah, it's very, like, <laughs> elements of The Shining as well as The Ring. A lot of stuff God, that you, you see... God, I love that movie, too. I mean, and that's... It's, it, that kind of segue... So I was gonna say, let's start getting into the nuts and bolts of this yeah, movie. Yeah. But, like, I think a lot of tour de force in that movie is because of George C. Scott's performance. You know? and I would agree that, and then in this I movie, like it's Charles Durning. Charles is, Durning is carrying that. You won't find the, a bigger fan in this room <laughs> <laughs> of Charles Durning than me. But but so now, yeah, when, Charles, they, when writing this 
I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, Charles Durning, of course, he would go on to be a, another horror movie, um, One of Stranger Calls. Yes, yes. you and I viewed yeah. at, at a sleepover. And I went to go look to see if that was a TV movie because I was thinking of it that, like, you know, now if you look at it now, that could have been a TV movie, that but I don't think been. it was. I don't think it was either. Um, and then a year after this came out, a movie that I personally love, that I've fallen in love with over the last 10 years, I'd say, he's in Tootsie. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so when, um, what's his name? I keep forgetting the fellow's name who wrote this darn thing. Uh, J.D. Feigelson. Yeah, when Feigelson. Fe- when Feigelson is writing this, he starts thinking out the different ideas of it. And he says, he starts to try to think of like in a small town, he wants to try to find it's someone. In a small town. In a small town. In the middle of nowhere. In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> where, um, <laughs> just, <sorry. laughs> just the whole, the whole yeah, cast. You have two voiceover guys. What you don't know. know. What you don't know. May hurt you. <laughs> um, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. <laughs> yeah, well, I, uh, no one on AD in a while. <laughs> um, so he's looking for kind of like a uniformed person that he can put into the story, and he kind of yeah. s- suddenly figures out a mailman, and he says to himself, he was trying to find out like the, the, the least frightening person you can think of, and he comes up with a mailman. And he's, he thinks like a mailman. Everybody loves the mailman. Everyone loves the mailman. Brings your packages. But that's, his, that's, what, that's a line that, that um, Charles Durning says, nobody's afraid of the mailman. But you think about it, it's genius because one, I don't think you ever see Durning out of the mailman outfit in this movie. I mean, even like, you know, he's, you know. He, You're right. I don't. You I don't never you see do. him. There's one maybe scene where he's in the boarding house. And I think he's just in maybe his like his wife beater or something. Or, you know, yeah. he's in a white shirt. But he's always in that mailman outfit, even when he's doing the crimes he's in the uh the jeep and all that kind of thing the mailman jeep um yeah yeah but then we were just talking about mailman i know exactly so this is another freaking <laughs> thing that's hilarious because i said that to my wife last cast we we did our last cast is i brought up cagney and lacy and i was talking about porn stars we did, when we did um night of the creeps and i said to myself we started the cast out because i was trying to say it. the only other time we ever brought mailman up that is in that episode there was an aa episode of of cagney and lacy oh yeah that's there right was, there, yeah <laughs> There was, there's someone raised his hand we to talk in the AA this, movie. I was like, we were just talking about <laughs> We were just talking about Mailman. I said that to, my, to myself. I was like, we were just talking about it. And th- there was an actor in that scene dressed as a mailman in this uh, episode of Cagney Lacey at the AA meeting who starts to say, I'm an alcoholic. And it's the um, Robert Kerman, maybe was his name. And he's a porn star slash legitimate actor. Not to say porn stars aren't legitimate actors. That was in Night of the Creeps. He's in Cannibal Holocaust. He's in the 2002 Raimi movie, Spider-Man. And he's a man. Mailman, and I was like, oh, "That's hilarious." We just brought up mailman, you know, mailman, and then it got me interested in like uh, the Jeep. I always loved that mailman Jeep. Yeah, and, and it's like the th- wheels on the other side. Yeah, it's on the right side. That that Jeep for all these motorheads out there, because I always like to try to give a little to the motorheads. That's a Jeep DJ, uh, aka the Dispatcher or DJ, and it was a two-wheel drive variant of the CJ series. And the CJ series is the round headlight Jeep you'd see growing up until like '86 when you got the square headlight and that's the Wrangler, yeah. you know, and CJ's became kind of problematic because the chassis, the, the actual uh, driving compartment isn't attached properly to the chassis. So you'd have these accidents where they went over a curve really quick or whatever, and these bolts would snap. So the, the compartment where you sit in, like the whole top half would dislodge from the chassis and it would t- tumble over and people were getting killed. So to kind of fix this problem, with the CJs, they kind of revamped it, and that's when these round headlights went to square, and you get the Wranglers now. And then now, in recent years, they brought that back, the round headlight, and that's actually become the Jeep logo, is yeah. the round headlights with the little grill. But um, 
this was a model that AMC uh, made from 1970 to 1983. And nowadays, they don't have them anymore. But now rural uh, areas still use the Wrangler Unlimited with a right side yeah. driving. But like this little, I was like, oh, I remember that. Because back in the day, the post office had their own you know, vehicles. And now you don't see that anymore. They don't. You know, usually the guy uses their own with the placard and the window and all that. But getting back to Mailman. Uh, he, the, uh, Zygelson was looking for the, like, least frightening Fiegelson. person he could, Fiegelson. Or Feigelson. Feigelson. Sorry, J.D. Sorry, J.D. We, we love you. <laughs> uh, we were looking for, he was looking for Shout the, out. yeah, the old J.D. For the least frightening person he can think of, and he thought of a mailman. Because also, <clears throat> conversely, in a small community, a mailman knows everything about you. He I knows know. everybody. Mail. He's reading your mail. He's reading the return address. So if you have a mailman that's Snoopy, the you know, yeah, you know, who's into your stuff, it's it's very Maybe much. You see him like looking through people's magazines before he puts them in the. Mailbox. Yeah, so it's very seedy. He can become a very seedy person who's going to be the probably the forefront uh, runner of gossip in the town. Yeah. You know, and it seems like he in this movie Charles Durning is the guy who um, he's so good in this movie. He's amazing. He's so like gross in this movie well do you think it's like he to me he seems like he's a pedophile well that's you know yeah, that's the, the complete implication because even someone <coughs> says to him the mother it, the says i know i yeah when she chases him away because he goes to well, the that's house the thing there's a, okay so there's this moment in the movie where he goes back to the mother the first Ma person Ritter's we have house. the um the farmer we, we met in charles durning's gang uh, you have a farmer, you have a grain kind of foreman, a grain quarry, you have a mechanic, and you have Durning. So yeah, yeah. first, after, the you know, everyone got off scot-free. Yeah, uh, he's working on, like, his tractor or something. Yeah, he's working out there, and then his, and his, his wife's trying to talk to his him. His wife's like, why are you planting right now? So are he's you like, planting right now? He's like, God damn it, well, can't yeah, you see I'm, I'm busy doing something, bitch? Something and like he's that. like, when do I start planting this time She's here? like, well, you plant in September, October. He's like, yeah, I do. And it, or maybe late, earlier, he's like, well, then she's like, yeah, I would think it odd. He's like, why the hell would you think that? He's like, well, I would think it odd. You put a freaking scarecrow out if you ain't planting. It's like, and he looks out, and then, like, it's really hard to see in our shitty VHS copy in the distance, but there's in the middle of this. Barren track. <laughs> yeah, no, we're trying to look really hard in the blurry images. <laughs> it's like that was like the, somebody's porn scene. Yeah, it's like, like oh, come on, something's there. <laughs> a crackle. But if you look at this barren, it's kind of freaky that in the middle of this huge multi-acre, like uh, yeah, of uh, like pasture, there's a big. Uh, lone scarecrow. Yeah. So he runs out to it, and he's looking at it, and he freaks him out. So the next scene is he runs. And to we should say that the this farmer uh, character's name is Harless Hawker, but it's played by Lane Smith. It was a great guy for you. Who's a great uh, actor? He's in uh, My Cousin Vinny. Yeah, he plays the prosecutor. But I think attorney. people for, for uh, uh, you're gonna know. I mean, for me, he's yeah. he's very white in Lois and Clark. <laughs> in Lois yeah. Clark, the new all, Avengers and all Superman. these all these people, I have to say too, like even the the heavy set Corey, uh, the grain yeah, guy, he's, he's great. But I recognize him from stuff. yeah. But these are like you would probably think, like old TV shows. Yeah, of the time, like episodic, shows, doing yeah. like characters. But you would think that they would. You know, all these people are fa fabulous in it. So what happens is. Um, after that first attempt where, um, you know, uh, Charles Darnie's like, you're, you're an idiot. And, and, you know, they're like, no, no. And he's like, and he, he's trying to say, no, it's a, it's a ploy by the DA 
They did that to yeah, frighten yeah. He you. Come with the, we'll lay the, 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 the three the, of them. The farmer goes and he finds the other two guys. The mechanic. He's like, Why the, the hell are you guys messing with me? And you're like, we're not. Like so he they, assumes that it's his friends. They go to the boarding house. Playing a joke. And they're like, we're not playing. And Durning's at the boarding. Durning lives in a boarding house. And he's like, a, like vet. a whole bunch of people. Yeah. 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 Well, it's all the old days of like, that's what you do. Glorious breakfast every morning. Yeah, they have. They live. <laughs> like, that was a, that's a forgotten thing where people would live at a boarding house in a room. And that was perfectly fine. A lot of bachelors, guys who were unmarried, they live in some woman's boarding house. And they go to his house and they're like, yeah, what are you doing? And he tries to say like, no, it's the DA trying to, you know, it's a ploy to, to, um, to frighten you to see what you do and look what you did. You idiot. You came right to me. Get the hell out. Act normal. Yeah, yeah. So he gets kind of scared. He goes, this is what we're saying. He goes to the, to Bubba's mother. Uh, who's now, you know, her, yeah, her Charles Durning goes to Bubba's mother to try to threaten her. So she's like, I know what you did. And, you know, and he starts, you know, trying to get like, uh, and he almost has the upper hand and she comes back with this shit. Like, you know, I know what you're doing. I, see, I know. You. I know how you look at her. Yeah. I, and, he, and then Durning, gets all scared. And then Durning just leaves and say nothing else. And it's great. Which is like the best moment of the movie. Because honestly, like I never really thought about it, but it gives a whole different context to the first scene. No, oh, uh, yeah, exactly. He's watching her like because you think he's watching Bubba because he doesn't like Bubba, but he's watching her with binoculars. and he's jealous of Bubba. Yes, and then the scene where we see she kisses Bubba on the cheek, and that's when Durning's like pulls yeah, out his pissed. And, and then the next pissed. scene where he Which goes like, and tells the farmer, and here's the thing: like that's the only mention of it. Yeah. Is, is 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 Ma Ritter says to him, I know how you look at that girl. I know what you're up to. And he's, and you can see his, the reaction, his reaction on his face. It's the only time it's said. Is that her name, Ma Ritter? Well, he's, she's, he's that's Bubba a, Ritter. Uh, that's interesting because that's a reference to my favorite episode of Tales from the Crypt, the Mrs. terror Ritter. television. And that's what the woman, she owns a boarding house that kills everybody. Yeah. And then uh, Morton Downey Jr. goes into the house that's live with the ghosts. And she's Ma Ritter. There's the, the ghost of the boarding house. So it's house. like, here's like, it's a brilliant device stroke well, of like screenwriting that's why so like, one single line one changes your view of this character going forward but then changes yeah, what you've already seen how and you're was. like oh wait a second wait what and he's <laughs> how he plays it and when you put and you put this the whole movie in a different context in an instant it's a wonderful it's awesome when that line came up i was like holy shit yeah when you um uh what's the gentleman's name the um the one who's played perry white on the TV show. Lane Smith. Yeah, when Lane Smith comes to him in the post office and he's like, we got to do something. And, uh, you know, Durning's like, no, we're going to wait for something to happen. And then the next scene when it does happen, I'm sorry, and Lane Smith comes to the post office yeah. and tells him, there's almost a smile on Durning's yeah, face. Yeah. He doesn't care that the girl was supposedly killed and she's not killed. Yeah, he's yeah. almost like satisfaction. Yes, now we have an implication. We can do something. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's brilliant. Now, to get into Charles Durning, my man is... is the, the amazing actor that, you know, people know him, like we said, from Tootsie and stuff like that. Durning has a really, really messed up kind of story, which a lot of people don't which know we've about. we've talked about briefly. Have we? In other podcast in another podcast, but I can't remember doing another movie with Charles Durning. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if we have. We I know we've brought up because he boxed, right? Yeah, I, well, because I, yeah, I brought and him I, up because of Wilford Brimley, maybe on the Thing podcast. So and I and I know that we got a slightly into a story, but it's yeah, also this, it's a fascinating story. This is what I I, I, I absolutely love about it because people don't people know him as like Doc Hopper from the Muppet movie. People know him as Tootsie. People know him in Oh Brother Where Art Thou. He plays the father in Rescue Movie to Dennis Leary. He's the father of Peter Griffin and uh, Family Guy and stuff like that. But you don't really or we you know obviously 
like we said, when a stranger calls. When a stranger calls. <laughs> I remember, or, I remember or us watching. Final countdown. <laughs> he's in, not the final countdown. Yeah, he's in the final countdown as well. I remember when we watched when a stranger calls, and there's like this long scene where he's chasing. Oh, he's just running the suspect, and he's running balls out. He's not. He's he's heavier in that than he is in this yeah. movie. And we're like, God damn, poor yeah. Joe. Poor old Jerry, he's getting, he's getting his ass worked out. But he, he would do all this stuff himself. And he did a lot of his stunts in this movie, Yeah, too. so this is, and th- this will give you a frame of reference of why. Uh, he was born up in upstate New York in 1923. He ended up passing away on Christmas Eve in 2012 at the age of 89. So God I bless remember, him. I remember. I yeah. remember. Maybe we also talked to him about him maybe then, too. Yeah. And, uh, we're both big fans. Yeah, I ended up doing a bunch of research because I put out a profile on him on my old... Uh, podcast site the podwits and what i found out out about him really just yeah it blew my mind where um he didn't get in front of the camera until age 40 yeah okay so he grew up in 1923 Which is when a lot of people are considered washed up yeah at that point and like you know a lot of people we have like danny aiello or dennis farina people who may have had careers they both were cops yeah and then after they put their 20 and they retired and like oh maybe i can start consulting on films or we said randy jurgensen and then yeah. you get into filming so during uh, born upstate New York in 1923, one of 10 kids. His mother is a, laun- a laundress at West Point. His dad's an Irish immigrant who is, dis- is a disabled veteran who lost a leg in combat in World War I and was sickened by mustard gas. Okay, So five of his sisters, he's one of 10 kids, Durning, five of his sisters don't survive childhood. Um, they die of smallpox, smallpox and sh- scarlet fever, and three of them die within two weeks of each other. Yeah. So that's terrible on the family. So I had to suck growing up. Yeah, because you know back then, it was just in the 30s, that was it. Especially like in the late teens when they had like the outbreak of the flu. Yeah. You know, like you had like a whole mass like of that's like if you post World War One. Yeah, you, there's a chance you yeah, might make it. There was a pretty good it. chance you weren't going to make it. So uh, Durning then starts taking odd jobs, and uh, he's a dance instructor for a little while. You know, uh, he he was Blind he was on his feet. yeah he was doing judo in the 40s back when. You know, judo was very not very well known in the states. Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, he's an usher in a burlesque house. And then one night, when he's uh, when, when there's a uh, a comedian who's frequently drunk doesn't show up, Durning, who has memorized all the comedian's jokes, persuaded the manager to let him go on. He goes on, does the role, and people love him. But he goes, he gets drafted. He goes into World War Two, and and his career in World War Two is amazing. He is one of the first people to, uh, the first wave of people at Normandy to go on Omaha Beach. And he describes it, I'm going to quote him a little bit here, so bear with me. Uh, he's one of the first people to get out of the Higgins boats on, in, on Omaha Beach. And he says, quote, uh, the guy in the boat, he turned to me and he threw up all over me. I got seasick. I, he was scared. You're not thinking about anything. You're just thinking about, geez, you hope that shell that went off right near you isn't going to hit your boat. Even the guys who had seen a lot of action before, this was the first time, and they were just as shaken up as I, and they were frightened to death. I was the second guy off my barge. The first guy and the third guy got killed. The first guy uh, got killed when the ramp went down. He fell. I leapt over him and stumbled, and we both fell into the water. We weren't supposed to be able to. We were supposed to be able to walk onto shore, but they didn't bring us that far in. We were in 60 feet of water and with 60 pounds of weight on my back. So I came up and I didn't have a helmet, didn't have a rifle, nothing. I hit the beach. The guys pulled me in who were already there and I'd lost everything. 
but they said you'd find plenty of uh, stuff on the beach, rifles, helmets, uh, everything that belonged to nobody. Nobody knew where they were supposed to go. There was nobody in charge. Uh, you were all on your own. Everyone around me, people were being shot. I saw bodies all over the place. Uh, you didn't know if you were going to be dead or alive. You were just laying there. I got behind this tank to prote- we got behind this tank to protect ourselves, and we were holding our own, and they called us over. And a, a sergeant asked me, uh, you want to be the first one to go or what? And I said, uh, I'll go first, and you, you go right behind me. I turned around after an explosion, and uh, all I saw was his torso, and uh, half of his body was one way, half of his body was the other. So he survives Omaha Beach. He goes on for the war. He... Uh, is the lone survivor in an ambush, a machine gun ambush of his little squadron. He then gets uh, disabled, uh, a landmine goes off, he gets shrapnel in the face, gut, and some other things, and he's airlifted to a hospital in England. After that, he's fit to serve combat. And yeah, they, but we're talking about like saving prior Ryan shit. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> Omaha Beach. Yeah, like, that's left yeah, D-Day. You know, like obviously, like. Yeah, this yeah. is like this is what I'm saying. This is amazing. So yeah. he ends up um, getting shrapnel. He ends up uh, going to a hospital in England. Once he's he's ends up being um, called fit for duty. They they bring him back in and they they bring him in December of '44, which people know that's the beginning of the Battle of the Bulge. And the Battle of the Bulge was there was like the last little push by the Germans in. Uh, in Germany when they had their tiger tanks to try to just fight back from the impending forces that were surrounding them after we were making way after we invaded Europe through France. He, he's brought in through glider. Okay. He gets in, uh, he comes out, he ends up, uh, being one of these guys where there is, he's captured by the SS and there's this thing called the Malbadi massacre. And, uh, there were 90 soldiers about, uh, just about who were taken into a field and it, this is uh, dramatized in a movie called Saints and Soldiers and also it's in Battle of the Bulge uh, where they open up and they just shoot everybody and Durning's one of the only people who end up surviving so there's this last thing where he recounts where um, he had to kill a G- German soldier and there, all this stuff he never talked about until really later in life because yeah. it really fucked him up and he talks about where he says he was somewhere in Belgium crossing a field, and I'm going to quote him one more last time. He says, I ran into a, uh, a German soldier carrying a bayonet. He couldn't have been more than 14 or 15. Because you got to remember at the time, the Germans, all their people of army age were on the front lines. So they were running out of people. So the Germans were, they were um, drafting children or elderly. Yeah. So like the people who were actually guarding Berlin at that time were like, you know, old men or whatever, the people who were like the air wardens. So Durning says, you know, he, he runs into a kid that couldn't be more 14 or 15. He says, quote, I didn't see a soldier. I just saw a boy. Even when he was coming towards me, I couldn't shoot. So they start grappling, he recounts later. And the kid ends up stabbing him seven or eight times with his bayonet. And that's finally when Durning picks up a rock and beats the kid to death. And then he says, after he killed the kid, he says he, he just held the kid in his arms in the field and wept. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up, uh, you know, getting out. He ends up... Uh, receiving one silver star for valor and three purple hearts and then in 2008 the french government end up um 
awarding him the National Order of the Legion of Honor Award, which is some big award. So he comes back from, from the war, and he's all messed up, physically and mentally. So he says the 50s was like a lost decade to him, where he doesn't know what was going on because he was in like, yeah. you know, he was shell-shocked. He was in and out of a like hospital for physical damages and, you know, uh, psychiatric problems. And then he finally got his big break in the early 60s. He went to American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York, New York City. And then in 62, he got kind of drafted as a... Uh, to be in a play and he ends up receiving two supporting oscar nominations in his life he ends up um uh you know doing a bunch of other things like we talked about he goes up uh, ends up being like you know all these other shows but it's just like you think of uh a life this guy had and then we talked about he was a professional boxer for a little bit and there was a title card one night at times uh, at the garden where he was on the same card as... Um, We're talking about like the old garden. Yeah, the old garden. So this yeah, is probably like in the late 40s, or early 50s. Yeah, not Madison Square Garden. Not the one the now. It now. No, it's the one that was like on 48th on the west side there, um, where I guess like where a lot of like west side story was. Yeah. Uh, he was a boxer, so he was on the same card as... Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Wilford Brimley. Because Wilford Brimley at the time was uh, a bodyguard for Howard Hughes, and at the same time was a boxer. They didn't fight each other. But, but they were both fought that night on a, on a card. Yeah. So you just think of like the life this guy saw and the horror he saw. So yeah. of course he's going to do his own stunts. Or he's going to this is <laughs> this is like all second hat to him, you know? Yeah, I mean, so you think of a guy no, like that. He's no spring chicken, and he's all, you know we're also talking about you know he comes up, he starts getting his career starts to come up at a, in an era where a guy of his age and stature can. And we said it like it's, he, he's not the best looking guy in the world. You in know, because we're talking you know, about like. I think you know. his first role is The Sting. So that's like maybe like what, like late 60s, early 70s. I think his second, this is film role, yeah. might be Dog Day Afternoon. And then he, he ends up getting an Oscar nomination for The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas as a sheriff. And then he also gets, there's a remake of To, to, what, to Have or To Have Not. Is that the Jack oh, Benny? Yeah, the yeah. Jack the Benny Brooks movie and the Mel Brooks. Yeah, re, re, he, he gets nominated as an Oscar as the German in that. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, so like, of to course. To be or not to be? Yeah, maybe it's to be or not to be. Well, I always yeah, get yeah. that messed up with the Humphrey Bogart movie with him and uh, Lauren Bacall. To have or to have not, maybe. To yeah, be or not yeah. to be and to have or have not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, you think about this guy who's like, to us, he's like this round, you know, uh, barrel, you know, uh, stomached kind of a guy who just looks like, you know. But yeah, but we're, like I said, we're talking about an era where, uh, you know, like, Telly Savalas. Yeah, is guys like lead of a TV show, or you know, one of our favorite movies, Taking a Pal One Two Thirty. You basically get like Walter Matthau yeah, as, as a like lead. an action star. So you have that was the <laughs> era where talent counted you know more I mean? than like looks. I mean, looks certainly counted, but if you had talent and you were able to have a presence, talent, and you had, I guess the um, the gusto or the yeah. the the, the, the and ambition. He's, solid. he's one of those actors where he's you know maybe doesn't like have, Ernest Borgnine. You know, like doesn't look. have like a ton of range per se but when you but when he's in a movie you know that you're going to get like a solid performance so i've never seen him be bad in anything. no so to, to 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 steer this back to this kind of role he's just so like he's so dirty in this I movie know, it's, it's just despicable. so like you know and you don't you know and it's like it's his fault this all happened he doesn't seem to have any kind of uh you know like uh regrets yeah, yeah. you know even like he's cracking that joke about what time it is it's time to go eat some fried chicken after the court yeah, scene well, so at, you know the here's the the big i think the big scene for me is after mrs ritter says oh, she, I know. she he goes and threatens her and she says like yeah you know yeah you know like yeah, i know what you've been you i know how you i see how you look at her and, yeah, and that, that and that shuts him up and he just drives away and she's still yelling but at him, so like, like soon away. after that at some point we have there's the halloween carnival yeah 
or fair or something that's happening at like the church or the school or something. And that's why this movie is our Halloween movie. Yeah. <laughs> but he goes up and, and uh, he sneaks in because they're having one of these, like we just talked about, was it last week? I think it was last week in the night of the creeps. We talk about like one of these, you know, like city or town sponsored. Yeah. Things I where you and I both of, went to. Yeah. It would be, I told a story about how I went to one and I got this, the werewolf badge and uh and then you said you you know you had gone to one too so it's like it was one of these things so he and he sneaks into the elementary school yeah to like get her to yeah to get to like talk to mary lee or whatever yeah and we don't know what's gonna and like she's all dolled up which makes it even more eerie yeah <laughs> like, she almost looks like one of these like freaking uh she's a, they're all it's a halloween thing so everybody's dressed up yeah but she's dressed up like an adult woman so she's got like makeup on she's like all dolled up yeah and then this is where in the and they she's say like they're gonna play hide and seek and she's counting and then so he when shows she up. stops counting to go find Charles Durning standing there, and we're like, "Oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah!" And he and he and he's like, uh, "Hey there!" And he's got the he's got his Doc Hopper voice on. He's like, "Come on here, I want to <laughs> talk to you. It's gonna be all right." And he's and then he says that like real classic line. Nobody's afraid of a mailman. And um, the writer says this is the only change that happened from the original script is I guess that they changed her outfit, the little girl's outfit. Yeah. So because of that, they had to have they changed the line or whatever he said, like you look like a princess or something like yeah, that. Yeah. But then he, he wants to talk to her about, I guess, you know, about who's doing it. Maybe. Yeah. He, Cause basically by this point, by this point, you know, we, the first guy dies. Yeah. The farmer dies. The by, farmer, farmer sees the, sees the, uh, his equipment go on scarecrow. And then, he goes to investigate something like in his barn at night, and then the shit goes on, and, and then, then like the wood chipper goes, yeah, and he gets, <laughs> and, and he, he freaking he falls off off the loft into a, into the brush machine, <laughs> you know. And again, we don't see anything. No, but, but it's also all like we, well, we know what's that, that you hear, <laughs> and then like the lights swinging, you're, <laughs> you know, it's very much Anthony Perkins from the so, black hole. You know, the guys start to get picked off. The the guy who do, owns like the grain. Great kill, kill, because that remind me. There's a Val Luden movie called um, the Ghost Ship, and uh, Lawrence Tyranny, who's the bad guy from Reservoir Dogs. We bring up again, old Joe. Yeah, yeah. he's in it because he's a '40s actor. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Val Luton did a series of movies like I Walk with a Zombie. He's one of those guys in the late '40s who were trying to still like do the horror kick, and he did like the Cat People and this Ghost Toby Wong. <laughs> yeah, Toby Wong, Toby, you know, Toby Chu, <laughs> Toby Chan. Chong. So in this movie. He get he gets stuck. He, they the ghost ship. He goes into like the the little compartment where the uh, anchor chain well, goes. Well, yeah. Well, and in this in this movie, Lawrence Tyranny gets killed because they start bringing the freaking anchor in. Yeah. So you think of like the huge anchor changes. <laughs> so in this movie, we're getting back to Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Uh, he's, he's at the thing, and he starts hearing. He's got like a bunch. He's got a bunch of pigs. Yeah, the big pan. guy, the big guy who's the the head of the grain. He's the grain manager. He's the second guy. The farmer gets killed. Maybe it's feed, I guess. Maybe for yeah, it's like grain feed. And yeah, he, yeah. He's he's at his farm one night, just closing and everything. Here, the pigs get all they start going up. nuts. So he walks it's over there. <laughs> yeah, it's which freaky, is, which is a freaky sound to begin with. And he goes back and he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on because they the pigs sound terrified, yeah, the yeah. big old hogs. And then he hears something else in the silo, and I forget why he goes in to check it out. It's it's an empty silo. The door shuts. He gets locked in it, and then the freaking. I feel like he goes in there to hide. Is it something happens? And then it, like he locks himself in. I don't know why there's like a handle on the inside as opposed to the outside. Well, I think if you get, but then in he there. ends up getting locked in, and then the feed thing goes on, and then the the the, the belt 
turns yeah, on. Yeah, the uh, conveyor belt with the feed turns the on. The grain and just filling the silo. Yeah, and it's a slow death. And it's like, he's like, ah, and, just, you know, and, and then what's scary about it is it's like, you know, he's got his flashlight. He's trying to stop, and it's getting higher and higher. And then as soon as literally, you know, his hand's left. Yeah. It's like over his head and his just his hands like sticking it's holding out. the flashlight. It and then as soon off. as it drops the flashlight and he dies, the, the thing turns off. Yeah. So then like by this point now, Durning's freaking out. So Durning goes to confront the little girl like, "Hey, little girl," <laughs> you know. And it gets a little scary. And she said, "Doesn't she say to him in this in this scene where it's?" Um, I know what you did to Bubba. Yeah, she I says. He says nobody's afraid of the man, man. And she goes, "I know what you did to Bubba." And uh, he's like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "He he told me." Yeah, and, and, and she's don't like, touch. <laughs> yeah, and then he 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 runs away, and then she runs away, and then he runs. I mean, after there's her this whole other part which we skipped over, which is she didn't know that he died because the mother they didn't was, want to tell her, and so he goes. She goes running to Bubba's house in the middle of the night. It's a whole yeah, a whole subplot, subplot. But they didn't want to tell the little girl. They're like, "What should we do?" Well, there's yeah, we'll, not we'll, that we won't really. You know, we don't talk. We don't want to ruin that subplot. For yeah. <laughs> so yeah, when you go see this, so um. You know, it's it ends up being so. Then the next thing is Durning goes over the house of the of the of Bubba's mom, Mom Ritter, and he goes to threaten her, like you know, because he thinks she's behind this. And it's yeah. another one of these vicious things where it's like at night, right? And he's like hiding behind her. <laughs> yeah, like she gets up to t- put the water on because she wants some tea. Yeah, she sits, she back, sits down back down in a rocking chair. And his hand comes around and she's sitting on the rocking chair. And he's, he's like, like hiding behind the rocking chair. Yeah, and he's chair. like, listen, he's like, I know, you know, you're not going to do anything. You understand? And he starts, yeah, hear me? <laughs> and he frightens her so much she has a freaking heart attack. Yeah, yeah. So he's like, you understand? And he doesn't realize. And he comes around and when his realization that he, he killed her, vis-a-vis a heart attack he's like uh, uh. so he figures out he runs and then then another great device is the the, the kettle's ready yeah. blows that steam he yeah, freaks yeah. him out so you have the the whistling of yeah the, of the kettle. and you know he's got that great look on his face he's he's shitting a brick so yeah. he runs and he decides to like turn the he turns the kettle off then he turns the gas back on and then he goes and he leaves and mrs ritter was by a fire so yeah, then yeah. he leaves he and fire in the fireplace so yeah. then we start to like pull in on the fireplace like yeah. you know he, he, great great and great, then he drives device. away and then the house blows up and then the next day you know the little girl runs over and then you know the cops are there and they're like oh it's probably just because she left it you know the pilot these old out. people i never replaced yeah. the parts they're blah, idiots blah, blah. you know they're stupid so we have two guys killed by now uh and um then mrs redder's dead the two guys are dead. And then doesn't then th- there's there's another scare. Maybe the mechanic gets scared. The mechanic sees a he sees a uh the the scarecrow because you always see the scarecrow foreshadows. Yeah, it's whoever the sees the scarecrow is going to be like the next, next to, die. to die. So he goes to like Durning and he's like, you yeah, know, the feed I saw guy the, sees the scarecrow at some point, but then he dies. But then yeah, the mechanic yeah. goes. The last guy left. Mechanic goes to Durning. He's like, I saw the scarecrow too, and they're like, listen. He's like, let's go dig him up. I'm going to prove it to you. Yeah. This is all bullshit. We're going to find out. Bubba's not. Bubba. Yeah, I, it was the mother, and I, the mother's dead now. So they go to the cemetery. They dig up Bubba's grave. They open he it up. He makes the guy dig up yeah. Bubba's grave. <laughs> <laughs> he opens it up, and Bubba's in the grave. The guy freaks and he's, out. Before he opens it, which I think is a, a key line, it's a little foreshadowing. He's like, if we open this up, he's like, I'm scared because if we open this up and he's in here, the only the, the only person left is his ghost or something yeah. along that which is like is really the 
Great implication. Yeah, it's like the whole point of the movie here. Yeah, um, because like I said, we had the a little bit of the red herrings of of the mo- of Bubba's mother, of the district attorney. You know, at this point, I think as a viewer, at least I was, I kind of assumed that it was a supernatural presence of Bubba. But you know, you don't really know as the well. So, it's left a little so, ambiguous. So is yeah. So we get this line that's really kind of the crux, of the whole point of the movie, which is like, if I open this up and he's in here, the only thing left is that it's his ghost. Yeah, and they open it up up and he's in there and, and then the, the guy has a freak out see him yeah but. again we don't see him but it works he freaks out and runs and durning grabs him. listen you got to calm down you, you know it's all right. fill the hole. yeah we got yeah he's like listen this is what we're gonna do it's all right we're just he's like is everything gonna be all right everything gonna be fine <laughs> and he's like we're gonna fill the hole up and then he gets he, he gets the guy back in the grave because he realizes the guy i think the guy's like we gotta go turn ourselves in yeah, yeah. you know we the gotta guy starts freaking out the mechanic he's like we gotta turn ourselves in we gotta Durning. And Durning's like you gotta chill you gotta yeah. yeah, motherfucker, you got you got to pump your brakes <laughs> and relax a minute. So he goes, "Listen, let's just let's just go. We'll 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 talk about this, but let's go put the coffin back. You know, put the lid back on. We'll fill the thing back up." So he gets the guy to go back into the hole. The guy shuts the coffin and locks it, and he starts talking and Durning with his you know evil Durning takes the fucking, fucking shovel, in this movie. knocks the guy, and then it's one of these things where it zooms into Durning. But you see him pick the shovel up. He knocks the guy in the head with the shovel. And I think it's a great little bit where he comes back. The guy's hat is stuck to the shovel. And he looks <laughs> and he just takes it off. So you, you know he made contact. Yeah, yeah. And then he quickly starts filling the thing in. You know, yeah. and then at this point, Durning, so Durning's the one that kills the mechanic because he's at this point, Durning, you know, well, he does all he, in. Yeah, he's, you know, he's killed the mother. He's killed the mother. He's <laughs> he, in. So they and, killed Bubba. And Durning at this point is drinking and he's like, you yeah, know, he, we find out that he doesn't drink, but then he slips himself. Yeah. A little well, bit. He's been, he tells people he doesn't drink, but he's drinking. Yeah. And he's uh, and then this point he's drinking in the car. He's driving back in his Jeep. And then another frightening scene. He's, you know, he's he's all over the road. And it's that you see the POV of him looking out the window and all of a sudden he turns turns a corner and the little girl's in the middle of the road yeah yeah and that's freaky and he stops quick and she, he's like you know little guy what are you doing here you know <laughs> and then she says to him what does she say she's like uh you know i'm, I'm i want to show you bubba or something yeah and she, he runs out he she runs into the woods he takes his he tries to off-road with the two-wheel drive jeep <laughs> yeah he's trying DJ. to go after yeah. in the wilderness with this jeep he gets he gets kind of far you know with the mail jeep and then that, that thing kaputs you know and he gets out of that he runs after and he ends up into this field and then uh, one of the tractors goes on. Yeah, like the like the one of the ones that gets the you know the the, the gets the, the like collects the the you uh, know, it's not just a regular tractor. Wheat. It's a it's a you know it's a it's, it's a machine that yeah, collects it, the the wheat and you know shovels a bit with the big spinning. Yeah, and it looks like it has the t- attached around the spindles to make the ditches to make the you know the little you know to to, to yeah. rough out the ground so you can plant some seed. It has that attached so around. That's so like this in stuff, the back and it's got kind of a uh, it's got a like a, bit of a bulldozer effect in the, in the front. In the front. And all the lights come on and it starts chasing him around. And this is like a lot of stuff he did a lot of his own stuff. Yeah, this is like you can see like he yeah. takes a sp- he takes a spill right in front of the fucking to, thing. Yeah, get up quickly. Get up up and before he run- and then this they all sh- another testament to this movie is they shot at night for night. They didn't shoot anything in the daytime. Yeah, which a lot of television especially back in the late 70s and early 80s would shoot day for night which is they'd shoot outside stop it down and color print it so that's a little bit blue and you know try to make it look like it was it looks like it's night but they just underexposed it just enough so it's dark enough so it looks like because of your f-stop that it looks like it's nighttime but clearly there's shadows and you know if you look clearly daytime yeah (laughs) but here they shot it they did shoot it at at nighttime and then there's this whole thing where he's running like he's like you know who is it what if it's going on it's very you know it's very suspenseful and then the last minute the thing runs him into the scarecrow and he he runs into the scarecrow he's like oh 
and he looks up into the scarecrow. It's the scarecrow, and then as he walks back, you pan down and you see that the scarecrow was holding a pitchfork. Oh yeah, yeah. and he pitchforked himself. He ran into the pitchfork, and he's he looks down. He's even he's even astonished himself, and he he you know goes he does the Always old a great reveal when that happens. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he he does the old you know hands to the stomach, and then it comes up with blood. Looks at him, he's like oh no, and then it looks like he goes to say something. He goes to his knees, like looks up, and he points. He's like he's gonna say something, and he just dies. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, the girl shows up. And then uh, cut to a long shot, and then all the, the machine's lights go out. Shit turns off yeah. after he dies. Then the little girl shows up, and for the last shot in the movie, she starts, she starts <laughs> singing. She starts singing the song that her and Bubba had the whole movie. And then the scarecrow looks at her. Yeah, then the, like, it's like a low-angle shot of the scarecrow. And then like, the head turns and looks towards the camera. And then it gives her the flower that at the beginning of the movie they were playing with. And then yeah. she's like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, we're going to have so many more adventures. And it kind of, I think, maybe freeze frames on the, the two of them holding the flower. Yeah, as, as he's handing it to her, she takes it. So the, both their hands are on the flower. And that freeze frames on that. So the, the implication is that, you know, by logic, it's it was a supernatural you know it was the it was the the spirit the of bubba coming of back bubba yeah getting his vengeance on all these people who wronged him and um we talk about i guess the director says that when this was subsequently released on dvd and blu-ray which we didn't watch yeah they added back one shot which is in this scene when Durning's running away from this thing they have a cutaway inside the because i guess when the guy wrote it he wrote it thinking it was going to be a tractor. It was going to be like a uh, an open chair tractor where there's no like roof over it. But yeah. the the actual one they use is it's an enclosed, covered, you know, passenger where the where the driver's you know covered you know with a window and doors. Yeah. So you can't really see in it. Yeah. So uh, they cut to an insert shot inside where you see like you know the the gear and the gear moves itself. Yeah. The gear very much stick. like a like a maxim overdrive kind of a yeah. move where, you know and then i don't know why they cut that out but they cut that out for the original theatrical um or television pres yeah th i'm sorry the the, the television uh, when it aired airing it so they restored that into this remastered so i think when you watch it on dvd or blu-ray now you're going to see that I shot think that shot will be in it but it wasn't in the vhs copy yeah that Deanna and I or watched. the original airing of the yeah. of it so and that's basically it they shot it 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 only took that's all folks yeah be saying you soon they shot it in 17 days they had 18 but they they lost a day because of a fire um they had a 1.3 million dollar budget and at the time that was very 21 days 18 days is was was the norm for shooting tv movies back yeah, then yeah. you know it was much like the studio system they get these freaking things done i mean if you want to there's a special features on the blu-ray for duel yeah and they talk about how spielberg managed to shoot that movie Oh, in that they, time frame? In, in the, such a short time frame, and it's a fascinating featurette. Yeah, it's tough. To have to like, see like, the genius. And going the back director. and forth and all that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it's like every time I hear these kinds of things or you see like, you know, Robert Rodriguez's footage uncut from like memory action, you see that he basically shot the whole thing and like edited it in camera kind of. Or you watch this featurette of like how Spielberg pulled off doing Duel in no time at all. You realize like... It's like intimidating because you're like, well, these guys are thinking at a whole on a, like, you have a level to, that yeah. like, I never, I probably never would have thought about. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> it's like the 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 thought that today, like they're saying, Jim Cameron shooting like three different, four different movies at the same time, which is unheard of. It's like you have yeah. to be able to be that logic and planning what you're doing and all. That. You have to have everything heavily planned to do this. But um, so they they were thinking originally before they cast Charles Durning, they wanted to have uh, uh Struther Martin 
uh, play his role, but he ended up passing away before the movie, uh, before they started to film it. And, and people would know him as, he's in a lot of movies, but most um, famously, he is the man from Kuhan Luke. What we got here is a failure to communicate, which also people know from Civil War on uh, Usual Illusion 1 on Guns N' Roses. That's uh, Strummer. Struther Martin, he ended up dying, and Durning is the one who took him in, and I think it was just a great casting to cast Durning. And um, yeah, he's great in this. He's so despicable, and it, and that's I think you know just a testament to how good of an actor he is. And then uh, I guess what other general information? Like I said, and then like the next year he's in Tootsie playing a completely lovable yeah lovable father of Jessica Lange in that movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then this is a movie that you know it premiered in uh, October twenty fourth eighty one. And then it was released eventually on VHS in the mid-80s. And then after that, it was very difficult to find because it wasn't released in any other format. And then it became like bootleg central where people, you know, you'd have to, they'd have bootleg copies of it on disc from the VHS copy. Yeah. And that's how we got our copy of it. Or, you yeah. know, uh, or we had a proper VHS copy. But yeah. then it's one of these movies that for some reason people always remembered. So yeah. it must have, like people said, must have seen it. People talk about it, you know, I somehow when I was in the midst of, you know, like I said, my phase of getting into television horror movies and I was just like looking for other great ones like this. This was on lists of like must see horror movies, must see television horror movies. Um, so, I mean, it has it's had longevity despite the fact that it hasn't really been readily available until fairly recently. Yeah. Um, and I think it's also important to note that. Uh, the director, Frank D. Folletta, uh sadly passed away earlier this year, March 29th. Yeah, had a healthy life, though. He was in his 90s. I think he was like 94. Or so, so 2016, March 29th. And also, just before that, Larry Drake, who plays Bubba, yeah. who we were talking about earlier, he died March 17th. I so, didn't know he passed away. Larry Drake died? Yeah. So oh, that's just, a shame. So just before... Oh, uh, the director died, and we lost Larry Drake. I didn't so. know that Larry Drake died. That's a shame. I thought he was still alive. So we're celebrating the 35th anniversary of this movie, and then the and then we're kind of paying tribute to, to both of them, to both of these, uh, as well as I guess you can lump Durning in because Durning in died Christmas Eve 2012, which was a couple of years ago. Yeah, he, he but, also uh, died recently. But you know, he died at 89 too, and that's another. You know, he ended up acting till his death. He was doing stuff. You know, either on voiceover work or he was doing episodic television. So the curse of <laughs> the dark night <laughs> of the of the scarecrow. But it's just like you know, getting back to like we said, Durning. It's like you think of a guy who you didn't even you know you see occasionally as a character actor, and he had such a life where he's like he yeah, was not yeah. even in World War. He was in World War Two. He was he was you know on D Day, seeing the horror. He killed. I'm sure a lot of people, sadly, it messed him up. He was, you know, wounded mentally and physically. Uh, Malmody yeah. Massacre, all these amazing things. And then, like, this, you know, getting back into this movie, it's like you have a movie here where it's just, it's freaking great. I mean, it's really, yeah, you know, well, it's just a movie that slips through the cracks that people really don't really know. And it's I've, really yeah. a... I loved it because it's just, it's total, even though I hadn't seen it before, just like the whole vibe of it. It's just like total nostalgia. One, Charles Durning. Two, you see, you know, Lane Smith, uh, you know, in, in the part as the farmer. And then you got Larry Drake. So, I mean, it's a lot of familiar faces. But in terms of just like 
it's like a 1980s fun TV movie. Yeah. I mean, so like it's just there's a for me there's a there's a big part of nostalgia, but also it totally delivers. It, but it's and it's just one of these like movies. Just, just it, they don't do it like they don't make them like this anymore. It works. You know, everything from the suspense of these death scenes, like we said, that the farmer, when he bites it, and when the guy in the feed machine, and then, the, I mean, in the silo, and then at the end with Charles Durning running away from this big piece, this big machinery. And then his madness of, like, him killing the, the old lady, and then him killing yeah, well, the, the that's mechanic. That. I mean, like, all that works. But then you get, like, this weird pieces of, like, depth, which is... You know, the, like I said, like the brilliance of the one like, like, I see how you look at that girl. Yeah. And it's just like, like nobody's whoa, afraid of the mailman. You whoa, know, it's so like, easy. And then it's just like, it and it all makes sense. changes the whole thing. And you're like, oh my God. And it does. He's it. a kitty fiddler. <laughs> yeah. Like, it all, like all of a sudden, like everything has a new light shown on it. And then with then just like when he goes and he confronts the girl at the at the Halloween fair. There's a level of menace there. You're kind of worried, like, where's right. this going to go? He's like, come, what is he say? Like, come here, let me, let me touch you, let me give you a hug. It's like, <laughs> you know, you don't know where this is going. Yeah, it gets, it totally gets uncomfortable, yeah. which is, uh, I think, a, a great thing for, a, like, a success. It's like a sign of it being successful. Yeah. I think at the very least, a horror movie, when a horror movie really works, it's like when you're just, like, unsettled. Yeah. And this, like, as soon as that line comes, the rest of the movie is just like, you're just completely, like, just uncomfortable through the rest of it. And it's, it just, it so works. And he's so great in it. Um, I mean, the, you know, and the little girl's good. I think the whole cast know, little is, you girl, know, like kids can sometimes be annoying. Yeah. Um, but she's not, no. I mean, she's perfect. You know, she's perfectly fine in it. And, you know, and it's, and it's, 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 and the woman that plays Mrs. Ritter, um, Jocelyn Brando, she's like an old actress from years ago. She's been in a million things, you know, when she was young. Yeah. Uh, so it's like top-notch cast. Everybody delivers. For a, a movie like this, too. Yeah, and it's great. You know, and it, and it just, you know, it, it pulls at my heartstrings at the beginning with, with him being mentally disabled. And it's get very much like the Green Mile thing going on. Or like, yeah, yeah. Like we said of Mice and Men, where it's so sad that this, this kind of stuff happens. And it's like, oh, you know, it's one of these stories. And it just works. It's great. What would you give it for... Uh, Buckets of pizza. I'd give it like four buckets yeah. of pizza. Like it was, you know, it doesn't, you know, I'm, it doesn't hold as much of a place in my heart as something like uh, In the Mouth of Madness, which we did earlier this month or the last movie, for instance, Night of the Creeps. Um, since it's a new movie to me, like it doesn't hold the same kind of nostalgia yeah. as those movies. But it was like a total breath of fresh air. Like, I'm kind of so happy we decided to do this one. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not as quote-unquote Halloween-oriented as our past Halloween movies, which were very specific to Halloween. Yeah, but it, it's happening um, on Halloween but, night. You but know? it's like right around this time. I mean, you know, we get the Halloween carnival. Yeah. Obviously, it, it, the movie spans a bit of time. All as well as we, I guess we should mention the scene when we have the the machine going after Durning in that final finale. You, it's great. You see the cutaways of the farm equipment. It's dragging, destroying all the pumpkins in yeah, the patch. Yeah, I love all that, you know? So it's like, even though, you know, there's only really one scene where we're really at hit, a Halloween, you know, hit with the Halloween thing, we know that the majority of the movie's taking place in October yeah. or early November, maybe right after. Yeah. So this Halloween must have happened in the early summer scene. and then this whole, so, you know. Uh, it's just like it's 
perfect yeah. kind of movie for this time Perfect of year. placement. I would give it to four as well. I think it's great. It's a great example of how a TV movie, a horror TV movie can work. It's a great example of how uh, a TV movie can work on less is more. And oh, it's yeah, just, yeah. It's, it's, ama- it's a testament to really show how you can get away with stuff. You know, awesome. and and yeah, so um, totally, uh, and it's a great totally way to kick out our our, ha- our Halloween marathon. So we'll be back in two weeks with a we'll be back on schedule for uh, for November. Yeah, for November, and we'll be getting into to, before we know it, we'll blink and we'll be already into our holiday extravaganza. But we hope you liked our our, our Colin Collar Cave. Yeah, of, it was of a Halloween weird, movies. You know, I, for some reason, I feel like it was there wasn't as much. Build up for us, maybe it's because well, because we just we binged we them so all. Busy, you know, we're so we had to get them all done, uh, and you know. Well, we picked some good ones. I mean, as you, if you haven't listened to Mouth of Madness, if you, when you listen to it, you'll hear like how important that movie is to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm glad we did that. And the Mummy was kind of yeah. a nice. Breath, I love the Mummy air, for me. The air. old. I like doing the older movies. You know, it's a totally there. different tone than the other movies we did this this year. And, and then Creeps is such a classic. classic. Yeah, it's, it's like much like this, where it's like just a great movies. So I hope you've enjoyed them as much as we've enjoyed doing and them. I hope you had a good holiday. Halloween yeah, we hope you had a good holiday. Well, yeah, and, and as this is dropping, Halloween's in a couple of days, so be safe, you know. Uh, watch out for watch everything out going for on. Watch razors and your apples. Yeah, and all the other crazy stuff that could be happening. In past years, we've told stories yeah. about... Uh, of uh, crazy, about which maybe Halloween <laughs> 3 or so. We talked about that. We're talking about Halloween treating and... Yeah. I always tell my story about how one family always has bottle caps. Yeah. Candy. There's Sounds only one on the block. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's for another cat. You have to go back to hear so, that story. You have you to know, go enjoy back to your forward. candy. The buckets of pizza come from a ho- stem from Halloween yeah, candy. Can, yeah. The junior mint bucket, which my mom uh, stored pe- old yeah. pizza in. And you tell that in the Dirty Harry <laughs> cast. And I forget what other cast you bring that up and you explain all that. And I way. recently just described it uh, on F This Movie. Yeah, uh, what the hell weeks, that's that, what the frame of reference is. But so check us all out and we'll see you in two weeks. And check out our Facebook page. Check Like us, like our Facebook page. And uh, please, you know, come by and share and you know, uh, message us or tell us what you like, you don't like. We have a lot of fun stuff there. Check out our regular page because we like to have a lot of extras that we add in for each publishing of the podcast. You know, we're on all the uh, regular aggregates that you get uh, podcasts yeah. from. Stitcher, iTunes, Podbay, uh, all kinds of stuff. We're, uh, Player FM. Check out our Twitter page, at uh, Sat Sleepovers. You know, uh, like us there. Uh uh, friend the page, retweet us, favorite, you know, like stuff if you like it. Uh, Check out my book, Scored to Death, Conversations with Some of Greatest Horror Composers, which is out, available on on Amazon and just about anywhere you can order it at your local bookstore. Of course, it's on Twitter. I have a Twitter account and a Facebook page for it. Also, uh, recently, and it should be now available as a digital uh, magazine, electronic magazine, also uh, I have an article in the fall issue of Movie Maker Magazine, which has a guide to making horror movies section, uh, which is co which is guest edited by Ty West, and I have an article in that magazine for the fall issue of Movie Maker. So check that out. Yeah, check it all out, and we'll see you in two weeks. So have a happy Halloween and happy stay Halloween. safe as always. Don't eat too much candy. Don't eat too much candy. We'll see you soon. Later. Later.